This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. All right. So we're having on a woman today named Lee Noto. And I'm super excited about her work because it's, uh, it's a, it's very empowering. So her work is basically, uh, she has a program called aligned attraction, and it's basically how to help women align to what relationship they want to attract. If you're a man and you're listening, don't turn this podcast episode off because it also applies to you. She specifically works with women, but all of this is true for men as well. So I do want to say like a lot of uh, the speech that uh, is used around aligned attraction is like how to attract a high quality man, how to attract a high quality woman. And, and uh, I want to specify that when we say high quality, I don't believe that there's low quality men or women out there. I believe that we are all royal by royal. I always have a hard time with my R's, have my whole life. We are all royalty by nature. Uh, we are all high quality men and women. It's just a remembering and a stepping into our power. I believe, um, yeah, I believe that we're all kings and queens. It's just a remembering. It's a stepping into our power. And that is what this work is all about. When we say high quality and in attraction, we're talking about someone who does their own work, someone who is um, not afraid of commitment, that's ready to commit, someone who owns their shadows, someone who is emotionally available. That's huge, emotionally available, someone who's honest. So a high quality man or woman for a high quality relationship. And basically her work is to help us see how to align to that because we were, we are always going to attract what we're aligned to that is in all areas of our life. And I will say that when I, when I was studying her work to prepare for this episode, I was just like on every single module of her program aligned attraction. I was like, yep, yep, yep. Because it was every single one of those is what I did to align and attract my king that I have in my life now, my current partner, Judd, is uh, he's the, I mean, he's, he's all of it. He is the most high quality man that I, I could have prayed for. He is the answer to all of my prayers. And I truly did follow each of her steps without knowing that there was a program like this out there. I, she, you know, she coincidentally did all of these steps herself and it's how she attracted the relationship of her dreams, but I can, I can attest to that her program does work because it is all of the same steps that I took to attract uh, my partner who does his work, who shows up, who holds me in my emotions, who uh, consciously relates, who chooses to speak my love languages, who repairs with me after conflict, who uh, in conflict doesn't call me names and stops us when we need to do breath work because we're interrupting each other, um, who doesn't fear commitment, who is a healthy masculine in front of my children, all of the things. Um, and so 
Yeah. So I highly, highly suggest her program Aligned Attraction. Uh, you can hear more about it in the interview. Um, and where to find that is in the show notes. She also has uh, another thing that's really exciting is she has a free workshop on the 16th called Sexy Secure Love. And she's not going to talk about that until the end of the episode. And so I wanted to make sure to bring it up now. It's Sexy Secure Love. It's on the 16th. It's a free workshop for whether you're single or in partnership, and it's for how to um, align to what you desire to attract. So it's a taste of it's a taste of uh, of her other program, Aligned Attraction, and uh, yeah. So let's get her on. She is an intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist who is all about radical authenticity and full expression. She's here to inspire and invite us all into our deepest levels of heart expanding, spine tingling love. Whether single or partnered, she's here to help us unlock our wild energy so we can experience the most tantalizing, delicious love life of our wildest dreams. Please help me welcome Lee Noto to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. So I... I know a lot about your work and aligned attraction. I don't know a lot about your story. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what brought you to the passion um, for helping others align to the relationship that they want to attract. Yeah. So the, the business and the work that I do now is, was completely driven from my story. Mm -hmm. And the work that I do now is supporting women in embodying a stance of fierce love with themselves. All of the work that my partner and I lead together and that I do separately is all around helping women cultivate an unconditionally loving relationship with themselves because we all want unconditionally loving relationships with partners. And the root of that is how we relate to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And my challenge, my, my existential struggle for most of my life was relating to myself the way I wanted a partner to relate to me. And for a lot of my dating career, if you will, I was seeking for a man to show up for me, love me in all of my emotions, be able to help me stand in the anger, in the sadness, in the fear, in the joy, celebrate me, uplift me. Yet I wasn't willing to do that for myself. And that was, you know, that was the one thing that was keeping me from having the partnership that I wanted and from attracting the kind of partners that I wanted. And that was a really big turning point in my own personal story. When I realized that I was probably in my mid to late twenties. And I remember writing, uh, you know, as, as we all do, I think as women, we write our list. What do I want the qualities of this idyllic man to be? Who is this perfect partner? How is he going to be? How am I going to feel? What are we going to do together? And I had a, a come to God moment where I was like, I want him to be able to hold me in all of my emotions, the anger, the sadness, the joy, and not be scared away, but love me even more. And as I wrote that, I'm like, oh shit, I don't do that for myself. My love for myself is conditional. If I worked out that day, if my skin is clear, if my tummy's flat enough, if I'm doing well at work, if I'm, you name it. I had a whole list of subconscious conditions that I was holding myself to. And if those conditions weren't met, then I would withdraw love and I would punish myself. And this wasn't always a conscious process. This was very under the surface. And for a lot of my life outside of my conscious awareness, which is how it is for most women. Mm 
And all of this comes from, most of it anyway, childhood conditioning, childhood wounding and trauma, societal, religious conditioning, things that are heaped on us over time that become like chains of bondage that don't really belong to us. But we don't realize that it's not ours until we start seeking and, and seeing the ways that we've then kept ourselves in this bondage once you know we're out of the house and it's not mom or dad or whomever anymore. And so my story is really one where um, I felt like I, I needed to perform for my entire life in order to win love, earn love, keep love and approval. And if I wasn't performing a certain way, like getting straight A's in school or performing in extracurricular activities, I'd be punished in some way. And this was my mom's best attempt. Bless her. I love her. We're very close at trying to give me the kind of life that she didn't have. And she thought that if she disciplined me and used tactics like shame and punishment, that that would keep me in line and she could ensure my success. And I am grateful for the ways in which that built character and resiliency. And I had a lot of unpacking and unlearning to do as an adult in the world of dating, because I then took all those wounds from childhood and projected them onto my partners. And so in the work that I do now, it's, it's completely inspired by my own journey and by my partner's journey around unraveling the wounds of shame and punishment that we learned in childhood. And now we help women do the same so that they can have the kind of relationships that really light their souls on fire. Yeah, that's beautiful. Your, uh, your story parallels mine a lot. And I know that every relationship I've been in has basically mirrored the relationship that I was in with myself at the time. So it also has mirrored the exact wounds and triggers that I needed to dive into deepest at the time. So it's really, really beautiful. And I'm, I, I saw on your website, you said it reminded me of America Ferreira's speech on Barbie. I don't know if you saw the movie, um, but it says, it's, it's, it's really good. It's controversial, but it's, it's good. It's, it's humorous. Um, but your website, you, you wrote out, you know, we're taught to wait for Prince Charming to rescue us, but also be the woman who can do it all. We're taught to be vulnerable, but not overly emotional, uh, be powerful, but not more powerful than him. Ask for what we want, but don't be needy. State your opinion, but don't be a bitch. And, and you wrote that these opposing narratives have caused us to become disconnected from the truth of who we are and has left us in excruciatingly painful relationships with ourselves and with our partners. When I saw that on your site, I was like, man, I still, I still feel like that in a lot of areas, even being in a conscious relationship, there's this like, like story for women of like, not needing a man, you have your own inner masculine and your own inner union. You don't need the man, but then like, it's okay to need the man and like to surrender to the masculine. Like there's so many, even in the, in the spiritual community, there's so many opposing narratives. And, and so I'm just curious, what's your answer to, what's your answer to all that? Like, how do we, um, how do we navigate that? Like the opposing do this, but do that. That's nonstop. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. We carry a heavy burden as modern day citizens, men, women, no matter how we identify, there is a burden of some sort. So I have a lot of compassion and empathy for everyone because we're all carrying something. And 
I don't have a definitive answer, but what I have learned on my journey from personal experience is that there is a lot of spiritual and emotional maturity in someone who can hold all the possibilities because there is no one way, right? We are perceiving duality all the time, this masculine and feminine, light and dark, left and right, up and down, too much, not enough. And we're, we're constantly, you know, experiencing that. And so when we can hold all of it as potentially valid, all of it as something that exists within us, then it doesn't have to be so much of an oppositional battle anymore. And so let me think of, of a way to really depict that. Um, in relationship, something that I've learned very deeply is, and this, this may depict the point is, can I equally hold my partner's perspective as truth, as much as my own perspective, even if those perspectives oppose each other, Mm -hmm. is his perspective equally as valid as mine? Can I hold it with that same regard and reverence? And when I cultivate the capacity inside of me in mentally, emotionally, in my nervous system to say, yes, your emotions and your truth valid for you. I, I could totally see how you might think or feel that way. And I also think and feel this other way. And they're both welcome in this relational space that we're creating together. Now, the thing about conscious relationships, which has become Um, I'm so glad that there's so much conversation about them. And I think sometimes we can get lost in these terms about what conscientiousness and consciousness means. And my simple way to look at this is consciousness means that it's in our awareness. We are conscious. We're aware of it. It doesn't mean we're more woke than somebody else, or we've read more spiritual books, or we have more followers or whatever. You know, it, it means that we're aware. And when we enter into a relational space where we're saying, okay, I'm going to become aware of my wounds and how they impact me and you and us, you're going to do the same. We're going to do the work together. That is like a a beautiful minefield of all the stuff coming up. So I want to debunk the fact that someone choosing to be in a conscious relationship means that things are going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time. Anything but. If you want to have sunshine and rainbows, go be in a relationship where you and your partner are completely unaware of all of it. And you get to sort of remain in the ignorance is bliss phase, because that's the only way we're not going to see what's actually here for us. Conscious relationships are wrought with all sorts of stuff coming up. And it's how we choose to relate to the painful moments and the challenges is really what makes the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we're, we're just coming out of Venus retrograde. So for those that are listening and, and are in conscious relationship, I know that when you are doing that work and there's all of these opportunities of, uh, like you said, being aware of the trigger or being aware of, um, what is being rubbed up against. It is, it's a lot, it's a lot harder because it is easier to, uh, experience that and then just go numb or turn on the TV or stay disconnected, whatever it is. So, um, I know that that was for a lot of us, that was just intensified the last couple of weeks through the retrograde and and that ends tomorrow. So, um, and I want to get deeper into conscious relationship in a moment, but maybe first we can, uh, just talk about what aligned attraction is like how, 
We can become magnetic to a partner who is emotionally available, ready to commit and does their inner work. Um, I know that you brought up that when you created your list, you started to embody the version of the partner that you wanted to be for yourself before in the relationship. And that was a big part of my, um, how I aligned to what I wanted to attract with my partner, Jed, is that I not only had that list that you talked about, which like maybe six years ago, it was like eight items. And then it became four pages <laughs> because the more I went through relationships consciously, like deciding, um, like consciously choosing people, I really figured out what worked and didn't work, uh, not only for me, but for my children. So the list became pretty big. Um, but just like you, I started to really embody those traits for myself and really start to work with my own divine masculine that really held the parts of myself that I wanted to be held by a partner. And then because I opened up to that within, which used to scare me, I was unable to open up to that with a partner. So I know that's a big part of it. And that was something you shared, but, uh, yeah. What are the other ways to become magnetic? Like maybe what are some traits that attract and repel those partners? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with the first question, which is what is aligned attraction? Aligned attraction is a modern relationship for self-aware women. And these are the kinds of women who want to break old patterns in dating and love, who are so ready to revolutionize their relationship with themselves and who want to create what we call sexy, secure love, the kind of relationship that feels deeply safe and passionate and has both. There's safety, security, there's passion, there's sexiness. It's, it's what we all really crave and desire. And so that's aligned attraction. Now, how do we become magnetic and, and what magnetizes high quality, emotionally available men and what repels them? The simplest answer I have to that, because my personal perspective on things is not so prescriptive. There are plenty of people on the internet who will tell you the five steps to this. And I used to do that. And I've, I've shifted in my approach to these things um, because I don't think there's any one way, but I will say if we talk in first principles or the fundamentals so that people listening can actually understand how this works is relationships are mirrors, right? Whatever our relationship is with ourself will be reflected to us in the world around us in any and every relationship, including with romantic partners, with family members, with coworkers, with money, with sex, with substances, with technology. We have a relationship to everything. And so what is our relationship to ourselves? If we feel attractive to ourselves, then we will be attractive to things and opportunities around us. That's the, the simplest key here. Now, how do we create attraction for ourselves? A really simple activity that I like that Esther Perel shares is I turn myself on when, fill in the blank. I turn myself off when, fill in the blank. Mostly this is non-sexual. I'll give you my list. I turn myself on when I leave ample time for myself to downregulate before bed. When I go to Barton Springs here in Austin and I get into the healing spring waters. When I move my body, when I strength train, when I do yoga, when I do sensual dance classes. When I really spend nourishing quality time with my girlfriends and I'm in a lot of feminine energy. Right? These are just some of the examples. I feel turned on, alive, engaged, attractive, attracted to people and things around me. I'm on, I'm here, I'm present. 
Now I turn myself off when I check emails in bed right before going to sleep. When the first thing I do when I wake up is check my phone and check messages and start work while I'm still in bed. When I pack my schedule jam-packed and I have no time for free space to think or to feel. When I suppress my emotions. When I use Instagram scrolling as a way to distract from something that feels really challenging instead of getting support that I need. When I emotionally eat. The list goes on. So when I'm in that space of in live, uh, you know, aliveness and turn on, I feel attracted to myself. I feel good. And it's, it's separate from external circumstances. It's separate from if I have a blemish on my face, if I worked out that day or not, like it's, it is, I feel good because I am giving myself the space to be here and to feel alive. So that's when I feel magnetic to myself and naturally I become magnetic to others. It could be a friend. It could be, you know, a male suitor. It could be whomever. And so when we take care of ourselves in the way that truly feels good and nourishing for us, that's authentic for us, we feel attracted to ourselves. And that's what attracts people to us. Now, as far as men who are emotionally available, which I've heard more women than I can count say, I just keep attracting emotionally unavailable men. The question that I always ask them is, are there any emotions within you that you have felt afraid of exploring? Are there any emotions that you shut out, push away, distract from, avoid? For a lot of women, I hear it's anger because anger wasn't, wasn't welcome in their household growing up. Or it might be sadness and grief, or it might be some other emotion. When we become as available to ourselves as we possibly can, and we're willing to sit in the trenches with ourselves and go there, then we start attracting people into our lives who show up for themselves in that way and who want to be in that kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I suppose it's the same with commitment. I, I, I know a bunch of women who they feel like, and not that you would expect a man to commit right away, but there's a lot of the like situationships, I guess is what people call them now. And I, and I'm guessing it's the same there that like, you can look at your level of commitment to self and your practices or whatever areas you may be uh, not showing up for yourself in that way. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it sounds so simple when you think about it, like, like attracts, like, of course, you're going to attract what you're embodying. It sounds so simple. Um, and it is, it's a really powerful tool to actually look at what you desire and then to just match it. Um, because yeah. Yeah. And, and look at what you desire and match it. And if your reality, if your external reality is not looking how you want it to look, that will point the way back to subconscious beliefs and habits and behaviors that are aligned with the reality that you currently have. And this is not an introspective activity to blame or shame oneself, but simply to be operating in reality. So when I was at a point in my life where I was consistently attracting emotionally unavailable men that just wanted to have sex, I had to look at, okay, if this is my reality, there's something in me that is causing me to attract this. I'm not bad or wrong for it, but if I want to shift my reality, then something internally, the way I think about something, the way I feel about something, my level of willingness somewhere is going to need to shift 
And I'm going to have to take radical personal responsibility to be able to shift my reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so you brought up conscious relationship when for those listening that are already in relationship, but maybe they're coming into this new way of thinking after already entering into relationship, right? Like they're past the aligning the relationship that they desire. They're in a committed relationship and they want to align. They want their relationship to align more to the relationship they desire, I guess is, is a, a jumbled way to put it. But uh, for those listening, how do they create a healthy, loving relationship where there is that deep alignment with the partner and the values? And what I, I think you said, uh, what were the three things, the sexy, um, referring to sexy, secure love? Yes. Sexy, secure love. And, and kind of like a, a dream partnership in a way. Like I know that that doesn't mean easy, but how, if they're already in relationship, how can they start to create that within? Hmm. Wow. That's such a big question. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll share with you what first comes up, which is Something that we have been very disconnected from societally and culturally as women is being very attuned to our own needs, our desires, our emotions, our boundaries. And when we are disconnected from those things, there's no way we could communicate it because we don't even know what those things are for us. Mm. The only way to have an honest conversation with oneself and with a partner is to be able to have access to those things. Because when we're talking about a conscious partnership, a partnership where when two people come together, they're force multipliers for each other. Like one plus one equals 11. One plus one doesn't equal two anymore. Like Mm -hmm. we're like, we're magnifying and amplifying ourselves, each other. The relationship is a separate entity that has its own power in the world, its own positive power force. And so when we're talking about a relationship like that, we're talking about a values alignment. So I would ask someone like, what are your highest values in relationship? What are your needs in order to feel, in order to support your values? What do you need from yourself? And what do you need from your partner? Do you have any boundaries around the rules of engagement in your relationship? What are your deepest desires? What do you want to create? Once you're, you know, once you've moved through some of the levels of um, wound resolution and trauma resolution, what do you want to create together? What impact do you want to have on yourselves, on the relationship, on the world? And how do you want to go about creating that? So if I just gave that that set of questions to someone, they could sit down and have something to reflect on and they'll realize that either they're very aware of all those things and then they can just easily have a conversation with their partner and see if their partner's on the same page and if he's given that any thought himself. Or they'll realize that there are probably some gaps in their awareness around, okay, wait, what are my needs? What are my needs and how I relate to myself? What are my desires? What are my boundaries with myself? Something that I really had to learn in order to get to, you know, this sort of metaphorical next level in my relationship with my partner was I had to create really firm, loving boundaries with myself around self-criticism there. I got to a point in time where I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to keep bashing myself and talking to myself the way I was taught to in my childhood, there's no way 
I can get to the next level because the way I'm being with myself is not congruent with the version of me who's in that next level relationship. Mm -hmm. So I have to be really honest and assess the incongruence. And so when we really take an inventory of like, okay, first needs, boundaries, values, desires with my relationship to myself, then with my relationship to my partner and our relationship as a whole, once we map that out, then it's very easy. Like, Hey, let's compare lists. Let's see what aligns here. Let's see what doesn't align for the things that are aspirational qualities for us that we're not yet those people who are creating that thing. What's the roadmap to getting there? Yeah. Like how do we get from constantly being triggered by this core wound that we both seem to be playing out that is so perfect for us? How do we get beyond that? How would we need to show up? When you say this and then I react in this way, what would need to happen differently? Okay, what's our commitment to this? And if we don't keep that commitment, then how do we create repair? Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of, this is a very sort of scientific masculine way to think about it, but I want it to be practical for those listening, which is run a bunch of if-then statements. If this happens, then what do we do? How do we respond? If this happens, how do we acknowledge it? If this happens, how do we celebrate it? So that all of these statements are in alignment with the values and the ultimate vision that hopefully we both share for the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. Uh, in the book, getting the love you want, I've I've read it a couple of times and it's, it's, I mean, it's one of the most life-changing books that I've read. I believe the very first exercise in the back, um, for a couple to do together is creating the relationship vision. So it, uh, and you, you, you know, you create your own and then you merge it and you really decide which are like the most important and list them in that order. So I love that. And, and I also love that you brought up identifying and resolving like your core pattern. I know mine, um, and it's been different in each relationship. Um, but mine was diminishing myself, like convincing myself that I wasn't special and finding any way to, um, to, confirm that belief. And so whether it was obsessing over an ex or, um, obsessing over like their history of something else, it was like, I always found a way to convince myself that I wasn't special to my partner. And Mm. if I'm holding that pattern, if I'm holding that narrative, then nothing that they can do is going to make me feel special. So I love that you brought that up. I'm curious as well, like when it comes to relationship, I know you've been with your partner for a while. What are, um, when it comes to having a sexually alive partnership, do you have any, I know you said you don't like, uh, you don't typically use formulas anymore or like six bullet points, but what is, what has worked for you when it comes to creating a sexually alive partnership? Great question. (laughs) So there's something that there, there's a way that my partner describes this that I'm going to borrow on. And then I'll, I'll share my personal perspective on this which is differentiating between dopamine-driven sex and oxytocin-driven sex. Hmm. Dopamine-driven sex, dopamine is the chemical that flushes through our system when we're in pursuit. This is the thing, the, the, the chemical that motivates us as humans to pursue things, to conquer things, to have a goal and achieve it. And a lot of humans are driven by this. It's why anything gets done, right? This is the 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 chemical that motivates us. And so dopamine driven sex, and 
I'm, I'm making a distinction here that's not always distinct, and I'll, I'll share that caveat in a moment. I used to have a lot of dopamine-driven sex, which was a lot of novelty, um, variety in men, in partners, having a little rotation. Like I had, I had my dudes, and I could, you know, count on my Tuesday guy and my Wednesday guy, and it was fun. I was operating conscientiously. There was, you know, a good level of safety with, with each of them but there wasn't a whole lot of emotional connection. There wasn't a lot of bonding. Oxytocin is the bonding chemical. And so this is what happens when we create a deep emotional, spiritual bond with someone. And this usually happens over time. This is less about pursuit and more about dropping in really deep and connecting, allowing ourselves to be seen, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. And so when we have purely dopamine driven sex. It might be with new partners. It might be one night stands. It might be when there is something novel that's happening, even with our current partner. And when we're having oxytocin driven sex, it is the, Hey, we're going to see all sorts of flavors of each other. I think having a combination of both and finding a way to strike both can be really valuable in having a sexually alive relationship. And I'll give you some examples from my relationship this is the first relationship where like we've gone through all of it together. I mean, he, my partner has seen me in every which way from ugly crying and snotting to center stage speaking with full makeup on to, you know, all the, all the things that I can depict as, you know, not so attractive to fully attractive, right. In, in terms of my perception of myself. And there is, in that there's a lot of bonding and in our sex, there's a lot of variety and variability. So one of the things that I think is, is the foundation for long-term aliveness in sex is safety. Do we feel safe? Do we feel emotionally, mentally, physically safe in ourselves, which is where all this starts. And then with our partners, do we feel like we can bring our authentic selves to the table and have that be held and seen and witnessed with a lot of love and respect. First, do we show up for ourselves that way? Or are we conditionally loving toward ourselves when it comes to our sexuality, which is what our conditioning tells us to be? And then do we allow our partner to hold us in that vulnerability as well? When there is safety, we can access deeper levels of pleasure than we could ever access, I think, in the one night stand type scenario. And we can, we can have a lot of pleasure in that kind of, you know, sort of casual non-committal sex, but there is a different level of depth that we strike when we are really getting to know someone, getting to know their bodies, their emotional states, their desires, their dreams, their aspirations. And when we're letting them get to know us in that way. Mm -hmm. And so what my partner and I really aim to do now is create a mix of oxytocin based sex, which is sometimes very emotional. Sometimes I cry in his arms before we even have sex or after mm -hmm. climax, he holds me. And it's the, it's the deepest opening that I have ever experienced. And sometimes he'll tell me to leave the house and he'll give me a command and he'll say, be back by seven, be wearing this, come into the house and be on your knees waiting for me. Yeah. And that is a dopamine rush. And I'm like, Ooh, like, I don't know what to expect. This is new. It's novel. It, like it could be anything. And so we can have both in a committed relationship. And 
I think that's the combination of the deep safety and vulnerability plus the novelty and variety really mm-hmm. creates the end aliveness. Oh, so good. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. The episode that will air after this is actually about dopamine rebalancing for those who are addicted to constantly needing that thrill. Um, mm-hmm. So and it's interesting that it's, you brought up like that type of sex and oxytocin type sex, because, uh, there is a, what we brought up in that episode as well is that there's a popular spray people are using that has ketamine with oxytocin in it. And they're using that during sex and saying that it's the most connection they've ever had. And so it's crazy to me because we're talking about having that without the spray, you know, which right. is really beautiful. And, uh, I love that you said too, about the safety. I mean, I, I had not experienced safety well, with a partner or uh, anyone that I have been sexual with until this current partner now. And it has, uh, although we're not at the place yet that you're speaking of, that it sounds uh, just so juicy. We're not yet there because we're still new. Um, I can feel that just through the safety, my body is open in a way that it's never experienced before. And it's really beautiful because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know what that felt like. I remember leaving the first time and texting my girlfriends. Like, I feel like I had sex for the very first time in my life because I didn't even know that it could feel like that in safety. And so, yeah, so really thankful to hear that, um, about your partnership because it's like, oh, wow, that's the, that's also the possibility. There's limitless possibilities. Um, another question I had around conscious partnership is, uh, I'm curious, I saw it on your site, but I'm curious the, um, the I, me consciousness to the us, we, and how, um, cause you also talk about, uh, stepping out of codependent or hyper independent dynamics into a healthy interdependence. So I'm curious, like, uh, you know, we're so much about autonomy these days and then we also crave deep, deep connection. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about, yeah, I, me to, to us, we, and being, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful question. So I like to think of this as a spectrum, right? We, we might have codependence on one end of the spectrum and hyper-independence on the other end of the spectrum. And we'll say healthy interdependence is, is in the middle. And there is nothing bad or wrong about being at any point on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What we, in, in my approach to this work, what we want to do is create choice and range. So can I create and cultivate the capacity in my emotional body, in my nervous system, in my psyche that allows me to choose where I want to operate on the spectrum? And by the way, this is not the only spectrum. There are many spectrums like the polarity spectrum, et cetera. So there are times in my life now where I choose to operate in a very independent autonomous state because that's what the the project I'm working on requires or Ani's under the weather and I'm caring for him or, right? So there's a time and place for this fierce independence. And I love that energy that, that, you know, was a part of my upbringing. So I I don't ever want to deny that that is sewn into the fabric of who I've created myself to be. And I enjoy it. I love the fierceness. And Sometimes I really, I feel very enmeshed with Ani. And so I want to normalize the fact that conscious relationships don't mean that we're quote unquote perfect all the time, whatever perfect even means, 
right? There are times where Ani and I are super codependent and we joke about it. We're like, oh, we're having a Cody moment. Cody like codependent. And, you know, it's, it's the silliest things. It might be like, I have to, you know, he has to pee. He's like, you know, come to the bathroom with me. I want to keep having this conversation. And so I'll just sit outside the bathroom door and we'll keep talking. And it's not necessary, but it's just a way that we bond in a very, you know, ordinary moment that nobody else sees. And so we acknowledge the fact that we're, we're having a little codependence in that moment. Now, the whole point of this is to have choice and range so that in moments when we need to operate autonomously for our well-being, for our business, for our clients, for some other reason, we have the choice and the range within ourselves to be able to do that. So we're aware of how we're operating and where on the spectrum we are, and we're aware of our ability to choose. And, you know, we, we try and become aware as much as possible when it feels like we don't have a choice. So when there might be anxiety come up, say, Ani's going to be traveling for 10 days and maybe I don't feel like I have a choice, but to feel anxious and that he's going to be away for so long, right? I might say like, Hey, I'm feeling anxious and it doesn't feel like I can feel any other way about this. So I'm just becoming aware where I'm at on the spectrum. I'm, I'm locating myself and I'm helping him locate me, which is how we create intimacy. Can we just locate each other and be aware even if we're on a point in the, on the spectrum that doesn't feel like it's where we want to be. Can we just mm-hmm. acknowledge that that's where we're at? Mm-hmm. And now this, this sense of healthy interdependence is, uh, have we cultivated the kind of security that we can be apart from each other? We can be individuals. We can be autonomous. We can go hang out with our own friends. We can have our own opinions. We can have some of our own unique ideologies And we can have opposing opinions and still respect one another. Can we have a rupture occur and say, hey, I respect you and your perspective. I respect me and my perspective. Let's figure out a way to work this out meaningfully or let's agree to disagree and respect each other. That I think is one of the core aspects of secure attachment is can we be individuals and still trust that even if we have opposing opinions, our connection is strong enough to withhold that. Yeah. Yeah, so beautiful. And with those opposing opinions, uh, when it turns into conflict, um, I'd love to hear what's worked for you when it comes to navigating conflict and also creating repair. Oh, this is a good one. Thank you for listening to part one of Lee Noto. Stay tuned for part two. But we got what it takes for the circle.